maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see it clearer, or are you deceived? In what you believe? Cause I'm only human after all So I, I'm not sure what you, how you experienced what you just saw. We seem to be living in our country at this point in an age of outrage. Everyone seems mad, and you would think it would start to get better, but it doesn't seem to be getting better at all. It feels almost like we live in the, as a friend of mine said, the divided states of America. And, and if we aren't careful, we in this room, uh, we can get sucked into the mayhem and those of us online can just become one more angry voice uh, and, and, and be part of the problem rather than, than part of the solution. Uh, all day, each day, uh, we carry around two buckets. And in one bucket, we have water. And in the other bucket, we have gasoline. And if you throw your bucket of water on a fire, what's going to happen? going to help put it out, right? If you throw your bucket of gasoline on the fire, what happens? It's going to explode. Listen, the world is on fire. Our national politics are on fire. Social media is on fire. Racial tension is on fire. And we can't afford to be throwing buckets of gasoline because the subsequent explosion destroys any opportunity we have to speak truth or love or peace or healing into a situation. And, and at the moment, that may not be our intent, but is it possible to say that sometimes... Is it possible that there are moments when our anger gets the best of us? James would remind us that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Actually, more often than not, it produces the opposite. And our anger, if we're not careful, can become hatred. Uh, and no one wants to be, to be accused of that, right? But when that video was playing, did, did you find yourself trying to figure out which side you were on, which in those images, who were you for? And did the anger reflected in any of those images bring back any familiar feelings for anyone in the room? So let me ask you this question. What, your emotional response, what was your emotional response to Jesus loves the people we hate? So if this is your first time with us, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad that you've joined us in the room. Glad that you've joined us online. Appreciate you doing that. I want to remind you that Jesus walked our earth at a time when hatred was alive and well. And today we're going to get a glimpse of how he lived through that as well. So Luke chapter 19, these, the verses and what we're talking about today uh, are on the uh, Version Bible app if you want to find those there. But we're going to begin in verse 1. Jesus, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. may sound familiar to you. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So I want to make sure that you catch that while what we're looking at this morning is going to take place in Jericho, 
Jesus was only passing through, and it's important. That's going to be important later. He's only passing through. As a matter of fact, in verse 31 of the chapter before this, we find out that Jesus and his followers are, are actually on their way to Jerusalem, and on their way, they're going to pass through Jericho. Now, outside the city of Jericho, there was this blind man who would sit by the road and beg for money. And one day, as he sat begging, he heard a noise. And you kind of have to look at a couple of verses to get the idea of what's going on. Not only was there a crowd around Jesus as they're getting ready to go into town, evidently it was a pretty good-sized crowd because 30, verse 39 identifies some who were leading the way. So there are some who are out in front of this crowd who is around Jesus, who is about to enter into Jericho. And this blind man hears this commotion that he doesn't hear every day. And he asks, what's with the noise? What's going on? And they, that is somebody in the crowd, told him that Jesus was passing by. Now, evidently, he had heard of Jesus. He knew that Jesus had the ability to heal him. So he begins to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I don't imagine that he did it once. I imagine he did it over and over again, uh, hoping at least that one of Jesus' followers would hear. Even if Jesus didn't hear, maybe one of his followers would hear and take this guy to be healed by Jesus. But those leading the way, those who were out front, who were going by first, rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But when Jesus reaches the spot, he stops and he heals the man. And immediately, he receives his sight, and he follows Jesus, and he's praising God. And when the crowd saw it, they praised God too. So it's kind of like uh, our worship service on wheels, going, can you imagine, going down the road, and we're all singing and praising God. And I don't think that it was a, praise God, come on, let's get this going. Uh, I, uh, I uh, you know, uh, I want to get this crowd over with in time for lunch. We've got to beat the Baptists to the restaurants um, I kind of imagine it was a party. It was kind of a zoo. And this ex-blind man is now right in the thick of it. I don't know if you can imagine his excitement. So when we read Jesus entered Jericho, it wasn't Jesus entered Jericho. It was kind of like, holy cow, look at the entrance that Jesus is making into Jericho. And he's not even coming to stay. He's actually just passing through. He's on his way somewhere else. And this crowd is getting bigger and bigger as it moves along the road. Now, in Jericho, there's this man who lives there. His name is Zacchaeus. And our verses tell us quite a bit about him. He was a Jew. But to, uh, to the other Jews of his day, he had committed the worst sin that a Jew could commit. He had collaborated with the Romans, and the Jews hated the Romans because the Romans had conquered and occupied their land. So I just want to make sure you get this as we get moving through this text, and you probably already know this, but let's just make sure. People hated Zacchaeus. They hated him. Not, not a mild dislike, not a, uh, it, I mean, they hated him, all right? For what they considered good reason, maybe you'll consider it a good reason too. He was a chief tax collector in Jericho. He was the guy in charge of all the tax collectors in Jericho. And Jericho, by the way, was a very wealthy district. Now, in our culture, people who work for the IRS have specific rules and guidelines, which are clearly spelled out for those of us who are taxpayers. <laughs> They're at least spelled out. Uh, it's like we talked about last week with Matthew. The Roman government had assigned Zacchaeus an amount of money that he had to collect and return to them for taxes, whatever he collected above that amount. And keep in mind, he was paid by Rome, but whatever he collected above that amount, he got to keep as kind of a bonus for himself. So like 
most or all chief tax collectors, he figured out how much more he wanted to be paid. He added that, and then he turned into the government what he was supposed to and kept all of the rest of it. Uh, And as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus had other tax collectors working for him. Matthew maybe was that type of a person who worked for someone like Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus would just divide his district into smaller areas. He would hire tax collectors for each of those areas. He told them how much they had to turn into him. In turn, they decided how much more they wanted to make. And so they added that to what was being collected by the people. Each tax collector kept his cut, gave the rest to Zacchaeus, who kept his cut, and then turned the rest into Rome. You may have owed $25, but you paid $75. And and the Jews knew this was happening, but they couldn't do anything about it. It's no wonder Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. It's no wonder he was a hated man. Maybe you remember this from last week, if you were here. Jews put robbers and evildoers and tax collectors in the same class. Tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, weren't even allowed in the synagogue. Now, evidently, Zacchaeus had heard of Jesus. Here was this Jew who not only healed the sick, and I just heard a blind man just this morning outside of town. But he gave social outcasts a chance, prostitutes, Samaritans. The word was he had women in his group of followers. Uh, and he even had, if, you, if I've heard right, he had a tax collector in the inner 12. Maybe he would give Zacchaeus a chance. He at least had to see who this guy was. So Zacchaeus ventures out among the very ones who hate him to catch a glimpse. But Zacchaeus is short, vertically challenged. And uh, imagine, if you will, a large crowd uh, who are, is getting larger by the moment, and Zacchaeus is trying to, excuse me, can I get through? Mm. Uh, could you mind if I see? Mm. You know, and, and so he's just giving it, you know, like this, and he's trying to figure out, can he, can he see? Uh, because he wants to see Jesus. And he runs ahead because they won't let him in. They hate him. They don't even want him there. They hate him. He runs ahead. He climbs up a sycamore fig tree, which is a tree with low branches, easy to climb. And he gets up there because he wants to see Jesus. Undoubtedly, he knew about him. He didn't want to just see what kind of man he was. He wanted to see which man he was. The, the Greek implies he wanted to see which guy was Jesus. So we need to stop for a moment to acknowledge that we're not so different from people in the first century because for many of us, maybe, maybe it would be true to say most of us, maybe, maybe it's true to say all of us that there are people that I hate, to which you may be thinking, well, that can't be right. I mean, at a minimum, I'm not, no way in the world I'm going to admit that here in church, right? No. Sure, not in front of church people. I I mean, certainly none of us Jesus-loving church songs, singing Bible on our phone people, you know, hate anyone, right? I mean, that can't be right. And maybe someone is thinking, oh, man, be careful. He's going to try to trick us. Uh, And truthfully, I've tried to think of how to get you to picture who it is that maybe you hate. I mean, if you had someone you did hate, you know, we're church people, Uh, thought about having you close your eyes and maybe describing for you something like what my friend Brian went through. Brian and I grew up going to the same church. He's about five years younger than I am. He's now a pastor in Philadelphia. And he said, when I entered junior high, I quickly established two goals for my seventh grade year. One was to get Casey Grot-Geyer to kiss me. 
And the second was to keep my friend Eric Green and me out of the hospital. Because every morning, Eric and I walked to Rosemore Junior High, and we had to pass a gang who called themselves the Cornered Rats. They were big, they were scary, they did drugs, and most mornings they outnumbered us 15 to 2. Brian said, I had the misfortune of being an athlete who lived in a nice house. Eric had the unfortunate problem of being a very good athlete and black. And some days we ran, some days we fought, most days we were terrified, but not a single day went by in all of seventh grade when my friend Eric wasn't called a nick. And I don't know about you. I can't even say that word, let alone want to hear it about a friend of mine. But when I hear about someone who is a friend of mine, and I know what it does to my heart, to hear it about someone else in a story, I can see how hate can quickly go both ways. And when we think about the story of Zacchaeus, if we put ourselves in the sandals of those who lived in town, it would be easy to see how he had earned their hatred. And so the question becomes really, how do we respond to that? We know it's in our world. How do we as the church, followers of Jesus, children of God, how does the kingdom respond to this? And so in the notes, I want to make sure you got this, living on mission. If we're going to be talking about being a disciple of Jesus, living on mission looks like I pray for the people that I have up in the tree. Zacchaeus, I'm talking about Zacchaeus. Who's my Zacchaeus? Because Jesus would say to his followers, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. And if you have put a face with what we're talking about today, if you can think of someone who maybe fits the bill for you, you may be thinking, I don't want to do that. And, and, and I'm going to guess that most of us get that. And maybe even Jesus gets that. Maybe. But Jesus not only said it on the cross, he did it. And thankfully on the cross, he did. Because at one point, everyone in the room, everyone online, all of us, all of us were enemies of God. At one point, we were all his enemies. That's why he went to the cross. Well, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd, so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. The word on the street was that Jesus cared about everyone. He wasn't just a friend of the, of, of the righteous. He was a friend of sinners. Is it possible that there's just even one person in this whole city today who doesn't hate me? Is it possible? So he went. He had to know if a guy like that could care about a guy like him. What if it wasn't true? Well, at least he would know, right? At least he would know everyone hated him. So he went. And when he couldn't see, he climbed a tree. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Maybe we can get a cup of coffee. Maybe you can order Chinese. But we have some things that we need to talk about. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus scrambles out of the tree. And the crowd gasps in dismay. How could Jesus spend time with someone like that? Or maybe, to be a little brutal, how could Jesus go to the house of someone everyone hates? 
or to be a lot brutal. How could Jesus go to the house of someone I hate? Can I tell you what hatred does? Because the story reminds us of at least a couple of truths that hatred causes us to forget or maybe to not even want to believe. But the first truth that hate can cause us to forget is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Even the ones I hate. That Jesus loves the people I hate. And we know that because Jesus said that in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, some people think that God sent his Son into the world just to make good people better. That's, that's not true at all. And I know I've cheated. I jumped all the way to the end of the story. And if you've never heard the story of Zacchaeus, I just maybe just a spoiler alert, I should have said that. Uh, it's all new information for you. But this is all over the Gospels. When Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus, he tells us that an angel tells Joseph and Mary, uh, or tells Joseph that Mary's pregnant and that they're going to name their son Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. In Luke 15, Jesus tells Jesus tells three stories in Luke 15, uh, right in a row, uh, and, and in verse 7, in the first one, he talks about the sheep being lost, and he says, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than a churchload of people who are already saved. That's why Jesus healed the blind man. That's why Jesus stopped at the fig tree, and it's why he went to the cross. And thank God that he did. Verse 1 of our text says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. Where did we say he was headed? Jerusalem. Because in one week, what's going to happen? In one week, he's going to be crucified. You know what I think? I think the closer you get to the cross, the more you care about lost people. I don't think that's necessarily true of Jesus. I think he always cared about lost people. That's why he came. But I think it's true of us that the closer we stick to the cross, the more people who are lost matter to us. Listen, sometimes hate can cause me to forget that, that Jesus loves the people I hate. And the second truth that hatred can make me forget is I, I can actually get in his way. <laughs> and I say that because of the crowd. Look, look at Luke 19 again. When Jesus reached the spot, he looks up in that tree and he said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I'm going to stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus comes down at once and, uh, and, Jesus, and welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And when you look at verse 7, there's this, there's this real dark part of the story that's happening right in front of us. It's, it's an ugly picture. When Jesus walked towards Zacchaeus, I wonder, I, here's what I wonder. We don't know, we're not told, but I wonder, did the crowd kind of lean forward a little bit in anticipation, waiting for Jesus to give the sinister little man a little bit of hellfire and damnation preaching. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 maybe a whole lot of woe unto you and maybe a little bit of pointing fingers at the guy in the tree and a, and a whole lot of Turner burn preaching that some of us grew up with. Can you believe people would act that way? This crowd is why Zacchaeus is up in the tree in the first place. It's this crowd that tried to keep the blind man from Jesus. And they weren't his enemies. They were the ones who desperately 
wanted to hear his voice. Maybe would be gathered in a church service like this this morning. Some who had been healed by him, saved if you would, like many of us have who are here this morning. I guess my question is, when they enter Jericho, are they really leading the way? Or are they just getting in the way? Because living on mission looks like if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, staying out of that crowd and getting closer to him, which may mean taking a break from social media. And when I say may mean, I mean it means that. It it means avoiding the groups, the people who, I mean, just lights you up. And you can just feel just. Feel the anger and the heat rising inside of you. And spend time with Jesus. Are are you in his word on a day-to-day basis? Are you spending time talking to him in prayer on a day-to-day basis? And I'm not saying those are magic bullets. There's no such thing as a magic bullet that will make you never hate again. But I will say that if you're not spending time with Jesus, it's a whole lot easier to let your anger turn into hate. Walk with him. He's closer to the guy in the tree than he is the crowd that's trying to be around him. And you know what they almost missed? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know, we have no idea what happened to Zacchaeus' house. We have no idea. We're not told. They may have had a meal. Uh, What did they talk about? What did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? How long were they together? We don't know anything except Zacchaeus changed. Half of all I own to the poor. Half. Half of everything I own. And if I've cheated anybody, (laughs) and I have, then I will pay them back four times that amount. I just want you to know Zacchaeus didn't pull that number out of thin air. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, Zacchaeus was required to pay back the amount stolen plus one-fifth. So if he stole $100, he had to pay back. Yeah, I was just checking to see if there are any math people. Uh, we have a sore lack of math people. But he agreed. He agreed to pay back. And I don't care how much money Zacchaeus had. Let's say he had a million dollars, 500,000 immediately to the poor. And if over his career, he had stolen 125,000 over his career, he was broke. Can you imagine his wife in the other room? Wait a minute, what did he just say? Can you imagine his kids going, "What, what did dad just say? Can you imagine the other tax collectors in the area? Is it any wonder, after that kind of change of heart, that Jesus would say, today salvation has come to this house? But you, do you understand what most people, they don't know that. They don't get that. Either they've never heard about the love of God, or they've heard about it and they don't believe it, because they've been on the receiving end of, or seen words or actions or attitudes that are incredibly hateful from people who say they are the church. And maybe you have too. No one ever said this is going to be easy. But I want to remind you what we know about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who is able because he was tempted in every way just as we are, but he didn't sin. He has been tempted in every way. He's able to empathize with us because he was tempted in every way that we are, 
but he didn't sin. To which I would say, at the cross, when Jesus, when the people who called for his death were right there, he understands. At the cross were the soldiers who nailed him to the wood. At the cross were the people who had been loved by Jesus and maybe healed by Jesus and could have stood up at any moment and spoken on his behalf didn't because they were scared out of their mind. At the cross, we remember not only that Jesus died for our sins, but we also remember he could have called down legions of angels to defend him, to end the whole thing, to stop it before it ever started and really put people in their place. Could have done that and chose not to. Instead, he loved those who hated him, and he calls us to follow his lead. And nobody said it would be easy to follow him. So we keep coming back to the cross so that we don't forget who he is, the sinless son of God who gave his life for our sins. And we don't forget who he's called us to be, children of light in a dark world, doing what doesn't seem possible to others who don't know Jesus. Maybe just a year ago would have seemed impossible to us because he loves us and because we love him. And so we will follow him. So we're going to pray and then we're going to remember what he has done and who he has called us to be. So Father, thank you for this moment where we get to stop And honestly, honestly, there are other thoughts that are easier to walk around as we come to the cross. And we would love to forget that Jesus is surrounded by people who hate him there. Who were saying horrible things to him while he hung between heaven and earth. The ones who nailed, put the nails, hammered the nails into his hands and feet. Who beat the crown of thorns down onto his head. He had friends who were there. Who would not speak up for him because they were afraid. That what was happening to him would happen to them. And he loved them, all of them, just like he loves us, just like he loves the people that maybe we're just really mad at, or maybe in some cases it would be fair to say we hate them. And so God, in this moment where we stand before you transparently, May we be honest enough to admit what's in our heart, even the the part that we we like to hide on Sunday mornings when we come together. And, And we really don't want anyone else to see or know about, but they're in there. Because the only way you can remove what's in our heart is if we give it to you. You will not steal it from us. You won't take it by force. You will come in and take what we give you. And so help us this morning 
to be honest about the anger and the hatred that's in our heart so that we can look more like you and less like the world, more like you and less like our enemy, more like you so people can see you when they look at us. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. And so we come to the cross and we take the bread that reminds us of his body that Jesus willingly gave for our sake. His death for our sins and we remember. And the juice that reminds us of his blood that was spilled for us. The Bible tells us when we were least lovable, when we were still in our sins, he died for us. We were his enemy and he died for us to make us his friends. And so we remember. And if you would, I'm going to take, ask you to take a moment and talk to him about whatever's happening in your heart right now, that he might help us to have clean hearts before him. Father, our prayer is that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like him. Help us not to hide anything that's going on in our lives, but help us to be honest before him. We pray that the light of your kingdom will shine into our hearts, exposing the corners and the closets and the hidden spaces. Help us to remember that Jesus loved us even when we weren't sure we loved ourselves so that we might be children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High, kids of the kingdom, because that's how the people of our world will sense your nearness to them now. So use us to help people see you and help them to see that we are not perfect people, but that when we struggle, we come to you. Help us, God, to help them see you. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.